0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lepiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. One of the elements of Jewish observance that sometimes frustrates and confounds people that are beginning their observation of Judaism is that Especially in the Western world, we're accustomed to thinking of religion in terms of uh, ideas, ideals, beliefs, um, being uplifted, many things of that nature. And those are things that we're comfortable with. What really, really makes us struggle is the extraordinary emphasis on activities, in a certain um, almost um, fetish of every single object, exactly what to do, when to do, how to do the details. Um, as a matter of fact, just the the, the, um, the whole uh, range of activities that are meant to fill our day and our time and so on and so forth. <laughs> Especially, if we take someone like Maimonides, whose sense of the mitzvot, of the commandments is that they're meant to help educate us. They're meant to help uh, firm up our ideas and beliefs. We really are a bit surprised at the focus on activities. It's not as if my mind is himself had any less of a focus on activities. Um, his magnum opus, the Mishnah Torah, almost deals exclusively with activities that we call mitzvot and observances to a degree that read detail that the uh, law requires is listed. So we're going to try to get a sense of this on two levels. One level we're going to look at it in terms of possibly um, an important tactical issue and then we'll try to get to something which is a deeper issue and something that goes to the heart of what is the Torah want from us. Let's first speak about the practical part of it, why it's so important. We observe many, many American holidays and they all have wonderful ideas behind them, whether it's Memorial Day or Fourth of July and so on and so forth. Um, most people today are clueless as to what they are, what they mean, what happened. And the reason is because words tend to change over time, shift, the story changes, the, um, it, it, they don't really, really last all that long. The stories become distorted. Every time you tell over a story, it's a little bit different. You add something else, you change something, you tweak something. And the belief that this is actually what happened and the way it happened becomes strained. It's good for 100 years, it's good for 200 years. When you start, when you start talking about centuries and centuries and centuries, millennium, um, they, they, they strain our cred- credulousness to say that it really happened the way we're saying it. When you have an object, let's take something like the story of Pesach. The story of Pesach is a story. Some of it's written in the Torah, a lot of it is written in the oral law. But when you eat a piece of matzah, that's a real object. That object has not changed. The recipe for matzah, the quote-unquote secret recipe for matzah, has been around with us, documented so, for thousands of years, literally. And every time you take a piece of matzah, it's very real. Same thing is true with the sukkah that we sit in, the booth that we sit in, the fruits that we take. We, we know that this was exactly the size of the booth that was um, always part of it. We know it's exactly the materials made of. Everything about it is been there the same, because objects don't change. That's why archaeologists are so fond of finding objects, because objects are things, and things have a way of keeping themselves consistently and uh, it, it very, very, um, it, it, with, with, with a very, very little rate of change. So, if 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 the Torah was about stories, ideas, ideals, and wonderful things, they become distorted, they they become, and they change, and it strains. One's faith to really believe that things are as they say. Things retain a certain um, a, 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 a certain sense of integrity, and it really helps us fortify that what we know about the story is true and genuine. That's one reason, and that's a reason that I am, uh, you know, that it's perfectly legitimate reasons, perfectly correct. But I think it's not quite the point I'm trying to make. Let's move on to an idea which perhaps goes to the heart of the role and place of deeds in the world of the Jewish religion. And remember once again, it's something that goes, it's something that exists probably more than any other religion or faith, certainly Western, uh, religions and faiths where ideas um, and, and, and ideals are, are what religion is made of and the activities they're meant to spawn are general good deeds, justice, kindness, those are wonderful things but not very, very specific. It's going to be alien for us and we need to master a certain concept. That concept is going to be called das, And we need to get a sense of what das is, and then we'll have a real understanding of, uh, of, of what it's all about. Let me first um, preface by saying that the Hebrew language has many, many synonyms for knowledge. And yes, these are all... Um, they can be used generically, and you can use Chachmei, you can use Bina, and you can use Haskell, and Das, and, and, and all of things like that. But, bottom line is, they also have very specific meanings. And, the word Das can be used in a very, very general sense, that's fine, but it also has a very specific meaning. And we'll start with a magnetic paragraph in the Torah something which is really, really um, unusually deep. It, it's got a lot of metaphysical um, it, it's, it's sort of uh, strands sewn through it. But we'll try to understand the point that's really not us. It's in Exodus chapter 33, Parsha's Kisisa. And it says that, after the Jews sinned, there's a dialogue between Moshe and Hashem. And we have this strange request. It says, vayoma Hashem, um, It says, vayoma, vayoma, har eini Show me your glory. And before that, he said, eini veida acha, Show me your ways so that I may know you. And then he says, and Hashem tells him, "Listen, You can't possibly see my face, because no man can see me and live." But he says, "Stay in this uh, particular niche in a in a in a large boulder, and ra'isa You will see my back, but you won't see my face. Now, this is something which is very, very... um, Obviously, it's very enigmatic. Obviously, we're we're talking here about something that is really, really defies understanding, but it's meant to be understood. And let's use the Rambam's approach. The Rambam Mm -hmm. says that Moses' request was that Hashem reveal himself to him in a way that creates a certainty of belief. Uh, the, 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 the phrase used is the way my mind describes it is the way I sense a person that I'm close to. The existence of someone that is close to me is so um, clear to me when I meet Yankel, who I know so well, I, I I have no doubts about him. This is Yankel. This is him, and this is who I'm aware. He didn't mean to see Hashem. He didn't obviously physically. He wasn't going to see Hashem. It's it's obvious. It's ridiculous. But what he meant to say was, I want to have the sense of Hashem so clear, as if it was my intimate friend that. His existence is a certainty to me that was the way he explains it okay so Hashem said no that's impossible a person cannot possibly comprehend God in a way that creates the same certainty as a close friend but what I will do and the Midrash says is God showed him the back of his tefillin now Um, We don't quite know what that means, the back of the film. We don't quite understand exactly what's meant by that, but that's what it says. And we're going to need to get a sense of what that means exactly. So first, let's start by describing um, um, what the word das means, and then we will... Go back to the points that we've made, and we're going to um, we're going to relearn this point, and then we will go on and see how the Torah sees this as a core value. Let's th- let's um, let's take an example. A child is told not to play with, not to put any metal into an outlet, an electric outlet. Actually, we're told not to put anything there. We actually, we were told as kids not to get close to it. I'm sure we oh, I don't know today how quickly the um, things react, but when I was young, they had fuses, not circuit breakers. And if you were not in luck, and the fuse was kind of, um, it would, took a while for it to melt down, you were not in a very good state. So we were told very, very clearly to stay away. And certainly not to have anything metal, and not to insert anything, and so on. I'm sure most people have they have had the experience of actually inserting something, and getting a zap, and that was probably usually the last time you did it. Now, what exactly is the um, what exactly is the difference? Do you really think that the child doubted the veracity of the mother's? Um, exhortation. Did he think she was lying, that it's dangerous? I don't think so. I don't think that was what was really entertained. But, knowing has different levels of how my consciousness absorbs it. A person is made up of layers. There's a physical body, there are things we sense, there are things we extrapolate, and from what we know, and so on. The things that we know, since we are beings that are both physical and, uh, and uh, cerebral at the same time, then our sense of real is a combination of the two. We only sense things real when both our mind and our body senses it. So when our mother told us, Tatala, be careful, don't put the thing inside, it hurts, it's dangerous, it's terrible, the, 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 the brain cells registered that information and they checked it as being true, There wasn't a the problem. But our body didn't understand that and we quite didn't have that understanding. And then when we stuck it in and we felt the zap, the two things together really, really made it real. Das is a knowledge that includes the personal experience, the physical experience, that is said, with the cerebral awareness together. And that's a type of understanding that sits on the entire person. We're not just, we're not uh, a cause with a computer on top of it. We're an integrated human being. And the things that are true at the level of the mind, but not Active, not not the body is not experiencing it. Are lacking in our ability to identify with the truth of that. I want to take a metaphor that's used in the in the in the Torah and Tanakh to express it. It says there's a whole story in Judges eight where Gidon was a Jewish judge. He went to battle with for Jewish people, and he went to. The people of Sukkos and asked them to join him in, in the war against Zevach and Tzalmona, two people, two kings of Midian, that were making the life of the Jewish people miserable. So, and they, being Jewish, they said, nah, we don't think, we don't think that you can do it, and so on and so forth. They had it, they had a, they had, a um, uh, they had it out with him, mocked him, and so on. So he told them, I want to tell you something, that when i come back i am going to whip you with thorns and i just remember that um, you know when you when when you come back you're going to get whipped with thorns and thistles it says when he came back victorious he you know promise a promise and he came and he, and he had them whipped and it says the the russian uh, the, the way to the, the, the phrase that's used by the Pasik is anche sukos. He acquainted the people of Sukkos with, um, with the uh, thorns. In other words, they became really acquainted with the thorns when you when, when you whip somebody with those thorns. The word Bayoda used in that sense. The word is also used when somebody consummates a marriage physically. By Adam it says, by because there are many ways to know a person and one knows him through speech, through action, through different things, and so on. But the physical bonding is a final stage which creates das. So we have a concept of das that is um, that means a knowledge that is built on both cerebral perception and physical experience. And that type of knowledge is so much more real to us, so much so much more bonded to us than the mere cerebral knowledge. Let's go back to the point, to, to that, um, to where we started from. Um, and... Before maybe before we go back to that point, let's let's um, show how the Torah itself um, has demonstrated that there's a world of difference between uh, things that a person knows, things that a person has experienced. This Hosea was a prophet who was sent, one of the many prophets. There was sent. To rebuke israel and tell them that they are um, bad people and that they need to do um and they need to do uh, what is um what is right and so on and so forth it's a very it was a very, very frustrating job being a prophet was no fun because people didn't take kindly to the prophet's message so hoshea told god you know what get rid of those people i mean these people are not good people It's not a nation for you. Find yourself a better nation. So it says Hosea told him, go and take a woman, a street woman. Marry a street woman. And have, you know, have children. And he took a woman that was a real street woman. A a very, very, um, a a woman of ill repute that really was a street woman. And he had a child. And he had... A daughter, he had a son and he had a daughter and had another daughter, three children. And then God told him, okay, get rid of them. And he said, how can I? It's my wife, it's my children, how can I get rid of them? So God said, this woman who, you don't know if she's yours, and the children, you don't know if they're yours, but once you've it, you can't just dump them. You don't, you, you, you emotionally can't. Why do you want me to dump my people when, you know, it's, it's, it, it, when they're my, my nation? Now, is it hard, is it so hard to explain this to somebody? Is it so hard to explain to someone that's very hard to get children? The answer is that until you haven't experienced it yourself, you just don't understand it as if it's your child and your wife and you have to say goodbye to them forever. That's that's the only. It's 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 a different type of understanding. Two, there is in in the in in the area in the realm of capital punishment, there are many many um, there are all sorts of laws put into place so that um, we, we maximize the ability of the person to. And not to be punished unjustly. So we need twenty-three people to judge a person of capital punishment. We need to have a very strict bar of, 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 of evidence, many, many things. There. One of the things, one of the conditions is that the people sitting in court must have had children, because if they have never were fortunate yet to have children, then the children. Uh, uh, then they don't have the, the the requisite amount of mercy. A child is something that brings in a person out mercy. Y- you begin to understand that, that the child sometimes does, doesn't do good, but it really means well. Your feelings for a child, all of those are elements that are developed specifically when you have a child. And Therefore... Um, It's very, therefore, uh, um, you you must have a child. And even if you don't have children, even though you're a kind person, a good person, a benevolent person, uh, you know, a saintly person, you still can't sit in judgment because all of the above qualities, the saintliness, the the benevolence, the kindness, all of those things, they're in the heart, they're in the mind, they're not in the body. It's not something that has sort of... um, it has sort of permeated your physical body in the way that a day-to-day contact with a child who, who, who just brings it brings that out. One more area where the halacha seems to indicate this in a very very strong manner. If a person, um, if a person goes to a store and he's looking at some item and he tells the storekeeper, okay, I'm taking this. And I said, you sure? 1,000% sure? You have my word for it. He, he ought not to back out, but he may back out if he, if he wishes. And legally, he hasn't taken possession yet. Um, even if he gives money, he, 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 it's not, he, he, he's not liable for that sale, and he could back out. He's not allowed to, it's wrong for him to do it, but legally it takes effect in halacha. However, if you lift it up one hand's breath, if you you just lift up the object, or tug at it, or take it in any way, it's yours. And the reason that seems to pervade this area of halacha is that without doing an act, a person is not really... um, it, it's not, he hasn't really committed. So, so the person has said and, and, and promised and everything, that's nothing. And, 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 and you're meant to keep your promise. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not saying you want it. But it's still not an act. If, if, if acquisition is a certain meeting of the minds, the meeting of the minds is a physical meeting of the minds rather than just a, a, a mere speech. So we have three areas where you've pointed out where the Torah said that one um, that that activity is really practicing something is what what gives you the final ideal, the final sense. Whether it's the mercy on children where, of uh, of Hosea, or the or like you said, a judge of children, or the commitment to buy something, all of that happens. Basically with deed, or better said, when the idea culminates in some in some concrete palpable act, definitely comes something. Let's go back and let's now let's relearn the point with the, the paragraph we just spoke about before. Moshe told God I would like to have that level of knowledge of you in the sense we're talking about something so palpable something so real as if somebody were to tell me that the chair you're sitting on doesn't exist um, I would laugh Um, you know, I'd kind of say okay, so is this a riddle or it's metaphysics or you've had one too many tonight the chair that I'm physically sitting in, I'm sitting in, that exists it's very, very real to me that's what he wanted and Hashem told him as long as man Is living meaning that he's of a body and a soul together it won't work because there is nothing about God that the body could possibly perceive and therefore there's nothing that the person could possibly um, could could possibly understand it doesn't it it, it, he can understand it as a metaphor he can understand it as an idea but not that type of concrete understanding that Hermione said Is what he really wanted. But, that knot, God showed him the knot on the tefillin in the back of his head. It's a metaphor, obviously, a very, very heavy metaphor. Let's explain what the metaphor is. is. The knot of the tefillin sits right where the spine joins the skull or the brain, or however you want to describe it, um, at the cortex where the two come together. It represents the point at which ideas begin to flow into action. The spine is the center of activity. It's the switchboard for activities. The brain is the switchboard for thinking. It's where a person's ideas begin to become concretized into action. God appears to us in the same way. There's the metaphysical God, all about what God would like, its wisdom, etc., etc., etc. Those are things that are sort of uh, beyond, and we can have some ideas about it, we can have some metaphors about it, we can have all sorts of intricate Kabbalah points about it, but that's all it is. It is not. Um, it is not something that is real to us. Then there's the point at which God begins to interact with man. And just like by us, the point of action is that point, that nape of the neck, that that kind of point that the the knowledge on, so too, God's interaction with the world is represented by that. So God told him, told Moshe, as long as you're living, the part, the elements of God that do not interact with this world are incomprehensible. They, we can talk about them we can give, we, we can have certain ideas about it, we, we, we know about it, but it, it's, it's not, it will never be understood in the way that something that has some solid embodiment would be un- understood. But from the back, from that point where God's um, goals, ideas, and, and, and wisdom begins to become concretized, that will become, that's what, that's something that you can understand. That's the meaning of that. Um, the, the, um, it, there's a beautiful, beautiful um, uh, 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 um, understanding of a verse in, in Shirin the Song of Songs. It's, it's alleged to be the Ramban, Nachmanides. Um I don't know, it, it's not clear if the work was written by him, but it's a beautiful point, no matter. It says, it, 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 uh, there's a recurring verse in Song of Songs. I administer an oath to you, daughters of Jerusalem. If you dare awaken the love, she sure remembers a love song between a girl and her beloved, which is a metaphor for God and man, or Israel, better said. And he says, At until it is so desired. In other words, when the right time comes for it, and it's a metaphor not to try to arouse the redemption and so on until the time doesn't come. Many, many metaphors. But he says a different, little bit of a different interpretation. The word would not mean desire. The word Chepetz in Hebrew means desire, and it means object. It says, do not awaken love unless it can be actualized, unless it can be realized, unless it can manifest itself in some concrete act. Atsha And the, the Talmud, when it speaks of an object that's being used for mitzvah, to connect to God, calls it a chefze, so mitzvah. It's an object. That is permeated with mitzvah. So, so in a certain sense, we're being enjoined never to allow an idol, idol idle, idle, um, idle, awakening of emotions, feelings, love, understanding of God, unless we have some way to actually, to actually um, make something real of it, something concrete. So. We have an understanding of the role of the world of activities in mitzvahs, even if our understanding is that at the end of the day, it is the, it is the ideas and thoughts of the mitzvah that are the significant ones. Since we have to understand mitzvahs, and since we are people whose sense of self and whose thoughts are all through a filter of a body and a soul together, we don't fully understand, grasp of thing unless we connect physically to it also, and each and every mitzvah has that in itself. And and when and when we do the mitzvahs, that's what we get, and, and that's what we receive from doing the mitzvahs. So it, it's not just nice to do them because doing them is nice, but but it it's it's a completely different understanding when we understand it with just kind of the um, cloudy part, the clouds in the brain, or when we understand it with our hands and feet and so on. The uh, Mir Yeshiva during the war was in Shanghai. And it's, it's a miraculous story in its own end, and it's not something that, that's not going that to occupy us now. But there was obviously no employment opportunities in Shanghai. It's hard to compete with the fully wages and rickshaw. Um, everything they had came from the U.S. to around about the way money was sent and they were living on pennies and uh, basically very very really really basic substance level. Um, the Mashkiach Rebchatzko would send around somebody to collect stucker money every day. The, obviously it was, it was a penny or a fraction of the earth that everybody gave and in the end, everybody took it back somewhere because everybody needed money. So, so there wasn't anything really happening there um, in terms of net charity, as we would say. It all, it all, that was it. You know, the people gave and took. The um, and somebody will to ask the what's the point of it? I mean, really, you, 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 there's no charity here. Um, at the end of the day, everybody gives their meager pennies, and everybody at some point needs something or other, which basically takes back one form or another. So what's the point of it all? And he answered, I don't want the hands to become rusty. In other words, a person trains himself to give. You asked you give. And that's fine. But once your hand becomes stiff, so it's not as if you change your opinion about giving, but it's no longer part of your entire being. I like to finish with a point about in, in, a, in a very it's something which really is a a, a sort of an unders- a global understanding of an event of two events and the two major events in Jewish history that have left very very different um, remains. There were two mountains in the world of in in the, in. in the Jewish history that played the most pivotal roles. One was the Mountain of Sinai, where God revealed Himself and God um, gave the Torah. It is probably the 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 most divine experience ever had in the world. Um, very clearly so. It's God, I mean, the verse says, God came down in the mountain, spoke to the Jewish people, gave them the Torah, and so on. There's another mountain that plays a tremendous role in the history of the Jewish people. That's the mountain of Moriah. That's the mountain where the temple was built. That's the mountain where Abraham was supposed to have sacrificed Isaac. Instead of sacrificing Isaac, it became sacred and uh, it became consecrated, and it became a um, place of worship forever. There's a big difference. Both of these are extraordinary places. Both of these places, the two most extraordinary events, probably, in, in Jewish history happened there. But there's a big difference. The mountain where the Torah was given is not holy. Even if we could figure out exactly which mountain it is, it has no sanctity to it, you can do whatever you want there, and it's finished. It's gone. The mountain of Moriah, where Abram sacrificed Isaac, um, it's holy forever. And yes, there may be, um, there, there is a question of the Talmud about a certain interlude, but right now it's forever sacred, and we're waiting the day that the Besamikdash, the temple, will be rebuilt there. How come? It's hard to think that, that mountain had greater divine, um, greater divine revelation than than this mountain. There was no, there was no greater moment of divine revelation than on Sinai. So why is that not holy forever, and this is sacred forever? I think the answer is as follows: In the mountain that is Sinai, it was an extraordinary experience, but it it was a passive cerebral experience. We stood, we listened, God spoke. We didn't do anything. There was nothing to do. In, in the in the mountain of, of Moriah, he didn't actually slaughter him, but the, the, the verse says, Avram st- st- struck, struck as um, stretched out his hand and he took the knife in order to slaughter his son. He did an act and then God stopped it but he first did something it wasn't just it wasn't just about words and talking and speaking lifting up the knife that meant the fullness of experience happened on the mountain in a way that had never happened at Sinai God revealed himself certainly in a much greater way at Sinai and and, and from God's side the revelation was extraordinary but we connected to it passively, which means we didn't really connect to it with our whole being. Death doesn't, death doesn't leave a permanent mark. The, um, the, at the mountain of Moriah, Abraham did an act. Besides God revealing himself, besides Abraham's awesome intentions and idealism and sacrifice, everything with it, an act was also done. And when an act is done, something becomes permanent. That's the reason, and I think that's the real reason, why it's so important, why the Torah has integrated its beliefs, ideas, and ideals in actions. Let's take an example. A person, a person, we all know that life is short, and whether it's 70 years, 90 years, or 100 years, it comes, it goes, and it's over. overweight. And, and then there's a, uh, you know, there's a tomorrow. We know that. uh, All of us will believe, believe in that. How much do we really feel it? Now, imagine you keep Shabbos, and it's it's sundown, you look at the clock, it's sundown, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, I forgot to put this in the oven, I forgot to put that in the oven, I forgot to do this, I forgot to do that. It's over. Most of us never get a sense of, it's over, until it is over but to get that sense to live that sense of finality of you know what it's finished it's never I, I can't do it anymore we live it every week let's take another example a person on Shabbos is meant to um, is is is, is um, stops his business it represents the understanding that there are things in this world that are means and there are things in this world that are an end, and very, very important to distinguishing the two. And a person has a very important meeting, a very important conference call. Um, it, it means clinching a deal. It comes Friday afternoon, and he and he says, "No, finished. I can't. It's too late. I'm not going to do it." The, the, the only it, it drives home the sense of. That's it. The, this the business deal was a means for something, but it's not the end. And I, I and when and when and when the goal of life is comes up, I need to subordinate the means to the goal. So this business deal is not going to happen because money is important and the deal is important, but but it's only a means for the end. And I build that in week after week for myself. There are some things, for instance. Um, Sanctity is a very hot concept. We can talk about it and sort of sing about it. But when a person steps into a mikveh, he's overwhelmed by a sense of sanctity, which, which gives meaning to the ideas and thoughts that he didn't have before. And that's a very different type of meaning and understanding. So, yes, the core of the Torah is knowledge and understanding of God, of what's right, of what's good. But knowledge and understanding are not real knowledge and understanding, because we're not just about our heart and mind. We've got a body with it. And those things that don't become part of what we do, don't actually become real to us. They always remain vague ideas and disciplines. The more we learn how to do things to sort of embody those ideas and ideals and, 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 and the feelings and, and, and the sentiments that we had when we were, um, when, we, when we heard these ideas, the more we become bonded to it, the more it becomes real to us. And the, the longer they last and they have a hallmark of eternity on them. The way that the mountain on which Avraham lifted the knife became permanently, eternally sacred because the ideas, the feelings, the, the, the Abraham's love for God, everything went into it, became reality through an act. Let us hope we merit doing a little more amnaslasos, means to learn in order to do Because doing is what makes the learning the real learning.